Hey, Hope Church, Craig Tuck here. Really, really glad to be a part of this gathering tonight, even though it's virtual. I was so looking forward to seeing your faces and being in the midst with you. But in this day and age, we're learning that communication can happen in multiple ways and we've got to be flexible. So I'm so honored uh, that Pastor Rob asked me to come and just share with you a message. And I'm grateful for the partnership that we have here in Greater Charleston. First, I want to say how thankful I am for Hope Church and for the vision and mission that you are carrying out for the kingdom here. I'm so grateful for the fact that all of you that are here and gathered into this church, this community of people, some of you I know have moved from out of state to come here and be part of this. I want to say thank you for being willing to take that risk and come. Um, I believe that we're in a day and time in Greater Charleston when the gospel and the kingdom of God is on the move in ways we've not seen before. And so that's what I wanna talk about tonight is the movement of God, the kingdom on the move. And what are the things that really help to foster that or how can we engage in that movement here in Greater Charleston? And we're gonna be looking in Philippians uh, chapter one. And uh, so the last part of that chapter, and then we're gonna go into chapter two. And so I just wanna share a few things with you that I pray and hope will be a great strength to you as you live out your life every day in the gospel. One thing I wanna say about this, everyone lives in a story. We have a story, I have a story and you have a story and, and, and God has a story. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the Bible itself is one huge story. It's a big narrative. It starts in a garden, right? And it ends in a city. Isn't that amazing to think about that? And so when we think about it, in that big story, we see the movement of God in powerful ways. First, in the way that he created everything. He made, it, he made us in his image and likeness. All of creation itself was designed to display the greatness of our creator God and to tell the world who he is in a general sense. And then specifically, we know that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus. But creation was perfect in every way. And then the fall of man came. That's the next part of that big story, right? Then we see when Jesus comes and he redeems the world for the sake of being reconciled back to himself, one day the story will end with restoration. And that's the story we're part of. That's the eternal reality of what God is doing. In fact, when John was put on an island, the apostle John, and he started writing and recording these visions he was seeing, he was a future traveler. He went into the future and saw what was going to happen in the end, and then he wrote about it. Isn't that an amazing gift that God has given us? That we can see the end of the story, and we can read about it? Now, right now, that end is not here. So we're in that story after redemption, and we're waiting for restoration. So I want you to be aware and know this, that God is at work, and he's got a big story. And he is inviting you and I into that story. So I don't know how your journey has gotten to where you are, but I know this. God, who does miracles today, takes a thousand details, maybe a million details, and works a wonder and brings people into his presence, into his family. And then what does he do? He puts that family on display so the world can see that there's a big God and that he is working and that he's good and that his kingdom is everlasting. It's from eternity past, it's in eternity present, and it's in eternity future. So what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in to your life? 
What happens when the kingdom of God breaks into a community of people? And when you begin to see what a good king that we have and that we serve, if you know Jesus, as you read about him, he talked about the kingdom of God. In fact, in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is mentioned over a hundred times. The word church is mentioned twice. That's interesting. In fact, another reality is when Jesus was raised from the dead, it says that he was on the earth for 40 days. What did he talk about? What did he focus on? One thing, the kingdom of God. And then he said, go and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples of all nations. So I want you to get this idea about this huge story that God is writing in the kingdom of God and how big it is. I believe the kingdom of God is breaking into our current history right now that we can see it. And so when Jesus prayed the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is saying, we want to see the kingdom of God come here now. But one day, everything that is broken, all injustice, all pain, all evil, all brokenness will be no more. Because God himself, and all of his people will be gathered to him, and we will be in a place where that will no longer be the reality that we face ourselves up against. But until that time, guess what? The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. And many times he said the kingdom of God is like, and he would illustrate what it's like, and he'd tell a story about two sons or a lost coin or he would just illustrate it in multiple ways. I think this, and this is what I want to emphasize tonight to you. I think the kingdom of God is an everyday reality because the gospel is an everyday reality. See, the gospel was never intended just to save us for all eternity. It certainly does that, but it's much more than that. It redeems every part of our life. Why? So we can display and reflect the kingdom of God that we're part of. This king that loves us, this king that redeems us, doesn't just save us for something in the future like a retirement account. <laughs> he saves us for the here and now. This is what I love about Hope Church, is that you, you act in your community as if you really believe that's true. The way that you serve others, the way that you do the grocery giveaways, the way that you're leveraging yourself in the community to seek to be a church, not just gathered, but a church scattered, not just to come to church, but to be the church. Let me encourage you that you're on a great mission and God's got a great purpose for you. And I wanna say this to you as well. I work with a lot of churches in this city. We need every church to have the forward tilt of kingdom mindset like Hope Church has. So pray with me and pray for other churches that we would collaborate and really grab hold of the reality that no one church can reach every person in this city. We need each other. That's why I believe we have four gospels. We just need one, right? One gospel would be enough. We could learn about who Jesus is and know how to follow him and how to be a part of his family with one gospel. But we have four because it displays the person that's inexhaustible and it shows the realities of who Jesus is. That's why I love churches is because they can display a, an expression of Jesus and then together when they collaborate, they display the fullness of Jesus to a community. Now, none of that's in my notes, zero but it's in my heart. And so I want you to hear it because I believe it does set up where we're going in Philippians. Paul's writing from a prison cell. Everything about his circumstances should yell and scream at him, man, throw in the towel. Don't even, don't even take another step. I heard someone say recently, uh, 
when you're ready to throw in the towel, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to throw it back at you. <laughs> but he's not going to just throw it back at you. He's going to come with it. And he's going to walk with you. And that's what he did with Paul. That's why I love what Jesus says is that take my yoke and learn of me. For my, my burden is easy and my, and my struggle is light. You can come and I will, you'll find rest when you yoke to me. We do, we do ministry with Jesus, not for him. And so as we look at Paul, Paul understood that. So look with me in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 27 to verse 30. Look what it says. Paul displays the gospel in amazing ways. He talks about it, that it's my life. It's the very thing I do. But he says this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I want to hear of this, that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So when we read these words, what does it mean to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Well, first of all, none of us are worthy of, of the righteousness that Jesus brings. That's the whole point of the gospel. It says you can't earn that, but you can receive it. It's granted to you. So a worthy walk is not one that you and I have to earn or achieve. It's a reality that we operate out from. The idea of our walk in this text, Paul usually uses those words walk as a way of your daily life and conversation. How does the gospel present itself in your everyday life and your everyday conversations? And I think the first thing about kingdom movement when we see it in our lives is that it thrives on gospel dependency. Gospel dependency. In other words, I, I want you and I to think about what does it mean to live out of being redeemed by Jesus? What does it mean to put your hope in the fact that Jesus, who reconciles us to himself in our lost condition, he is also reconciling all things, meaning our relationships. Wherever there's brokenness in your life, because it's there, it's in my life. So wherever it is, the gospel is the remedy for that. Paul said it, it's the power of God to salvation. It is the very thing that brings us from faith to faith, he says, because in the gospel, there is something we can't get on our own. And that's the righteousness of God. That's why I love the gospel is because it's not static. It's, it's a constant living reality. So I think when we get that in our mind, we begin to live in this sense of dependency toward God. And, and Paul is really writing from that whole premise. He's saying, because we're in the gospel and because we're in this family and we're part of this kingdom, that means that we can be in a way of dependency upon God and we can walk together standing firm in one spirit and striving side by side. It's been granted to us that we not only believe in Jesus, but then the gospel also is there for us when suffering, when trials, when issues come into our life. It is the very remedy to help us to keep believing and to keep trusting. So I, I say this, I believe the gospel is not only saves us for salvation and eternal life with Jesus, but it keeps on saving us from ourselves. Jesus said, if you're my disciple, what does he say? You, you know, you deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow me. So that's the way of the kingdom. What's interesting is Paul, right before this passage, he deals with this issue of ambition. And he talks about ambition in this way. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
His whole ambition is one thing. It's just Jesus. Now he says this, there are some that preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Let me tell you what, in churches today, there's envy and rivalry. Why? Because I think ambition is misguided. I think it, it leads to us saying, we want what we want versus I want what God wants. When a church or when a people empties themselves and says whatever it takes, and everyone comes to that same table that way, that is when we see the glory of God magnified and we see the gospel and the kingdom unleashed through a people. So what I love about Paul is that he deals with ambition. Here's what he says. Some preach even out of love, some preach out of love, but knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's basically saying, as long as Christ is preached, I can rejoice in that because that's the ultimate goal is to make him known. Here's the deal. Man, we want our heart to be linked to our ambition. We want a good ambition that comes toward the glory of God and our hearts to be aligned with that. What an amazing thing. It's evident. God will use his people who walk humbly with him and walk in a full dependency on the gospel. Something I've noticed about Greater Charleston, as I'm looking at the growth of our region, 820,000 people now reside in what is known as Greater Charleston, the three counties that we have. Stats are 38 a day. Uh, this is pre-pandemic, and I think it's probably still true. That hasn't slowed down. 38 a day are moving into this region, calling it home. Out of the 38, 55% of the 38 have no faith background whatsoever. So they're coming in here, not with an operating system and saying, okay, I'm gonna get a job, I'm gonna get a house, oh, and I've gotta find a church. No, that's not what they're thinking. They're just coming in to find a beautiful place to live that's constantly growing and changing. In fact, by the year 2028, 1 million people in Greater Charleston. So you think traffic's bad now, just hang on because it's going to get worse. I'm just here to encourage you. That's what I'm here for. Seriously, though, you can get frustrated by all the growth. If you've been here a long time in Charleston, especially, I know folks that have moved from one part of the city that's just kind of been overrun with population, and they're trying to move to another part of the city, and as soon as they move there, this five years later, all of a sudden it catches up. The reality is we have growth all around us, and it's what it means is this, is that the opportunity to see the gospel be planted in the fertile soils of hearts of people that don't know him and don't have a context for him is greater than ever. So when you're behind that car in traffic and you're frustrated and you're honking your horn and you want to say something not in Jesus' name, you need to do a check on this and say, you know what, I, I need to recognize that these people are here and as much as I'm frustrated by this traffic jam, God help me to live the gospel in this moment, but let me thank you that you've allowed me to be in a city where people want to come to from all over the world. Industry has brought people, I mean, we have many different ethnicities that are growing here in Greater Charleston. In fact, there's a Chinese church planter just came to Charleston to say, I know there's 5,000 Chinese here, want to plant a church. And it's just going to increase. We're never going to be Atlanta, Miami, LA, I know, it's okay. We're, but we know that God is doing something here that's unusual. You know, the thing about gospel dependency is that it requires us to have access to God, and we do have access through the Lord Jesus. And constantly, we want to be a people that says, you have access to him as well. I work at a church called Center Point in North Charleston, in the heart of probably the greatest diversity in our city. Um, a ministry called Families Count was started. 
um, it was started by a Lifeline Adoption Agency in, in Alabama. And the goal of it is to provide a parenting class for parents that are going through a separation with DSS. That parenting class that they've offered is on the list with other classes that's court ordered by a guardian or a parent to go through when there's alleged abuse or actual abuse. Well, they brought that class over here to Charleston and three years ago, one of our churches began to use it and teach it. And so every night for seven weeks, a parent that signs up from the court to go to that particular class hears about Jesus every night. They bring their kids they still have with them. They bring someone with them. They sit at a table. They sit in a room where they don't want to be, but they're ordered to be there. And for seven weeks, we have the opportunity to share the gospel and talk about the living hope in Jesus and how to parent and how to provide a safe space in your home. As a result of that, we've seen a number of families that are unchurched begin to say, man, I, I want whatever this was. I want more of it. So we started something after the court-ordered class called Life Together. It's a community group that anyone can be part of. And now we've got about 50 people meeting in this group that are not required to be there, but they, they want to be there because there's a, a longing for something more in community. What they're seeing is a desperate desire for something that they can't have on their own. And we share the gospel. And now those that have accepted, accepted Christ are now sharing their testimonies in this space. So it's amazing to see what God is doing through that opportunity. My point is, we need to find ways as the community of faith. How do we provide access points for people to come into the kingdom of God and to grow in gospel dependency with us and see them grow in their faith? The second thing I think is important that I want to introduce to you is the idea that kingdom movement relies on gospel fluency. Kingdom movement relies on gospel fluency. So what do we mean by we say gospel fluency? Those words too usually aren't used together. <clears throat> Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, who I respect and really has been discipling me from a distance, just looking at his resources, took these two words and pushed them together. And I'm sure others have done the same. Wrote a book called Saturate, good resource to read. Um, the reality is gospel fluency is the opportunity for us to speak gospel to ourselves and to someone else. It's the ability to take not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but to look at the gospel again in the context of story. Uh, we all have a beginning, right? We, we have a date or a date and time where we were born on the earth and a city by which we were born in and a family uh, that we were placed in, in that beginning. So we all have a beginning. So creation, God created the world. Well, on whatever date you were born, God created you. So that's your beginning. At some point in time in your life, there was a moment when you began to recognize that everything in the world and everything in your own life, maybe even your own, your own heart, you knew was not right. It, it just wasn't right. It was broken, and that's the fall. That's where we recognize, hey, I am hopeless and lost unless I have help. Then what happens after that is the story goes on for us. Every one of us, in one way or another, try to find a way by which we can redeem, uh, rectify, change whatever our circumstances or whatever we see is broken in our life or in our family or in our circumstances we do whatever we can to begin to make it better and what our hope is is that one day after all that good work of fixing it that it's going to be as it should be now that's the gospel in someone's life as a story as we live it out we're born into place and at some point we're hoping that at the end of time for us that everything will be as it should be. 
But in the middle, the question is, how do we get there? In other words, many times we really become our own functional saviors in the way we want to fix what we see is broken. And here's where Jesus steps in. This is where the gospel becomes fluent for us. It says you don't have to fix it. You don't have to fix it. You see, what Jesus did is that he entered into our brokenness in order to give us life, in order to bring, to bring redemption, reconciliation. And so I want to encourage you, if you're struggling right now with that reality in your life, and the fact is, if you know Jesus and you're following him, you still can operate in your own functional savior kind of way, just like me. It was a few years ago, after planting a church in 2014, that I had a health issue and uh, found out it was cancer. And man, my faith just hit a wall. It, I struggled. I thought, wait a minute now, Lord, I'm doing something good. I'm doing it in your name. And I go to, I go to others who have this, right? So somehow in my mind, I'm thinking I'm exempt from anything like that. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm human and flesh like everybody else. But in my mind, it just, it just threw me a curveball. I couldn't get my head around it. So I began to get anxious and I began to figure out, what do I do in this situation? Well, I began to say, well, what have I told others they need to do? <laughs> and I began to recognize, yeah, it's the same thing. It's trusting and resting in who Jesus is, not in who you are. He's sovereign. The world is broken. We live in a fallen condition. So if I'm gonna be fluent in the gospel, I've gotta begin taking the word of God, whether it's on your iPhone or wherever it is, I gotta take the word of God and it's gotta to begin to inform me all over again what I know to be true about God and true about me and believe that. And as I began to do that, I found that my anxiety just started going down and I began to trust and I began taking steps. So instead of going into depression or finding a way somehow to cope with it in my own way and then try to kind of muscle myself through all of my own circumstances, I found that God was faithful and he was nearer to me. Here's what happened to me. My dependency on God went up at the highest level I've ever experienced. As a result of that, what happened was I began to say, Lord, all the things that I've been telling people and preaching messages about that I'm now applying very directly to my own heart, um, I want to live that out every day, even if I, even as if I didn't have cancer. And thank God he has healed me. I am in a great place physically. But what if I'm still struggling with that? What if you're still struggling with something like that in your own life? How are you, how's the gospel speaking to you? Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says that even though I couldn't get back to you, the circumstances prevented Paul to get back to the church at Philippi who he's writing this letter to. He said that he wanted to send Timothy to, to them as soon as possible. But instead what happened was another guy by the name of Epaphroditus that was sent instead. And he's the one that delivered this letter, this, this letter to the church at Philippi. He delivered it. And it says here that he delivered it almost at the very extent of his own life. He almost died in bringing it to them. There was something that happened to him on the way. It was sickness, some kind of trial. We don't know exactly the details, but it says that he himself almost, at the risk of life, brought this letter back. And what it showed me was this, is that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus were all men who lived in this dependency because they were living out of the kingdom reality. And this, the way they spoke fluently in the gospel is right here in the text in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. And then he says, I trust in the Lord 
that shortly I might be able to come to you as well. And so then he says, I rejoice in the Lord, or I desire in the Lord that you would receive Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus in the Lord. So he's emphasizing this fact that whatever circumstance has happened that I want or don't, uh, that I want that don't happen, either way, I can rest in this. My hope, my trust, and my expectation is what God wants. When we live in that kind of dependency, we're speaking gospel fluently to our own heart and to our own circumstances and to one another. And how, how much we desperately need that in this time, that we live in that way of gospel fluency. One thing I've recognized too is that um, as we move about the kingdom, as we meet people and you build relationships, um, someone said to me years ago, there are no little people in the kingdom of God. And I think that's, that's so true. Let me give you an example. So I planted a campus for one of the churches here in, in Greater Charleston back in 2008. And I was planting it in this space that was once a, I think, a steakhouse. Then it became a funeral home. I know that's, it should be in that order, right? Because a funeral home wouldn't be good to have then steakhouse, all that, that'd be weird. Anyway, sorry for that side note. But we took a funeral home and renovated it and made it into a church campus. It's amazing what you can do with a funeral home, as creepy as that might sound. We made sure no one was left behind. You know, we made sure that we were good. Okay, all right, I'm done with the comedy, sorry. But here's what happened. Here's a great story. So the person that was overseeing the property was working with commercial real estate as a property manager. His name, John Tecklenburg. So John was managing the property. And so I said, well, John, this is interesting. You and I are connected to this building. Um, and so we got to know each other, got his cell phone. He got my cell phone. We began to connect at a higher level. About, about a year or so later, John says, hey, I think I'm going to run for mayor. I said, you're going to run for mayor? Are you kidding me? I said, man, that's, that's crazy. He says, yeah, my parents have been in, uh, in, in politics and civic leadership and those kind of things. So John runs for mayor. I said, well, I can do one thing. I can pray for you. So John goes off, runs for mayor. You know the rest of the story, right? So Mayor John Tecklenburg, uh, been in office now one term, is in his second term. So when he got into office, I texted him. I said, okay, John, this is your buddy Craig again. I said, you know that relationship we started back there at the old funeral home, became a church? Um, he said, yeah. I said, listen, I know you're in office now. I don't know if you'll allow me to do this, but I would love just to pray with you um, twice a month. If you'll allow me to do that, I'll bring a pastor with me every time I come. And we just want to pray for you because God's given you a position in leadership for our city. You're, leaving, you're coming on the heels of Joe Riley, you know, this tenured mayor in Charleston. He said, you know, I'd love that. That would be great. So now he's in year, I think, five and a half, maybe year six. You know, he's not wavered from that, like every month, twice a month. Um, we've been doing Zoom, of course, through the pandemic, but he's not wavered from that. And what I was thinking is interesting. If I just would have overlooked John, hey, he's the guy that's trying to help us out with this building situation. And, you know, once he's helping me, then I'm, I'm good with him. I'm done with him. I'm going to go to my next thing. What I've learned is that there are no little people in the kingdom of God. And if we're speaking gospel fluently, there are no little people in your life. Now, they may never aspire to be a mayor or a leader or something and all that. So I'm not saying, um, you know, look for the next whatever great leader that you're going to influence. I'm just saying that whoever God puts in your path, your neighbor, lean into that. Live out the gospel. Live with expectancy. Uh, know that that relationship, that deposit that you're making is for a reason. You may not see the result. There may not be withdrawal from that account and what you see. But I'll guarantee you, whatever you deposit, 
And however you continue that relationship, be willing and be able to lean in. That's where the kingdom can be on the move in your life through gospel fluency. Don't, don't ever underestimate uh, the way that you live your life every day matters. It counts. Not just for you to keep believing in what you believe, but for those around you to hear and see and respond to the gospel as they watch you live it out through your trials, through your circumstances, no matter what it is. The message that we preach is not only talking about Jesus from the Bible, it's the way that you preach it in your life and the way you believe who he is. So I want to encourage you, the kingdom of God relies on that and it can be expressed in you in everyday realities. The third thing I want to say as we wrap this up is really what the kingdom of God does in the way that it works with interdependency. And what I mean is that the kingdom movement in your life and in a community of people advances through gospel interdependency. Not a word we often use, don't use it every day, but interdependency really means what it says, and that is that we're connected to one another, and without you, we, we couldn't do what we do. In other words, when you look at the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and if you're new to church and you're going, I've never heard the word Trinity, and kind of understand what all that means. Believe me, there are great theologians that are still wrestling with how does this whole thing work? You know, one God, three persons. So don't worry, that's not an easy thing to wrap your head around. But what we do know is this, is that when Jesus came on the earth, it says that he came to do the will of the Father, not his own will. And then he talked about praying and sending the Spirit, that the Father would send the Spirit who would only speak about Jesus and magnify him because that's where redemption is, is in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. And then Jesus said, the Spirit of God will empower you to be witnesses. So within that community of the Trinity, you see an interdependency. When Jesus was praying in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. You see a, a son yielding his will to his father, perfectly God, perfectly human, and only here to follow his father's direction, his father's will. Even talk to his followers to say, listen, God will reveal to you at the right time when I'm returning. That's in his hands. So there's a dependency, that interdependency that Jesus had to the Father. The same thing with the Spirit to Jesus. So that interdependency is also real in life today. When you look at a family, when you look at relationships, there's an interdependency. In fact, it's designed by God for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church and for the wife to willingly respect and follow her husband as the church is to follow Jesus. That is interdependency. It shows an equality of value between a man and a woman in a marriage, that they're equal before God and equal in value of who they are, but they operate in this interdependent relationship and it makes it work. The same thing through with parents and children, right? You can go even to the workplace and talk about it, that you gotta have someone who's the point leader and other people follow that leadership or that vision, those goals that are set before you, <clears throat> and you rely on someone else to help you get whatever that big job is done. Interdependency is everywhere. When you get in your car, you're interdependent on people around you not to just drive right into you. Now, it might happen, right? So you got to be defensive and careful, especially here. But bottom line is you got to think about the way that you're thinking for yourself as you're driving your car and you're thinking for others around you to react if they're doing something that they're not seeing. So interdependency is all a part of life. You can look at it in nature. So that point is made clearly. We see that most clear in Paul's writings to Philippians. In fact, in the first part of the chapter, chapter two, he talks about this. He says, I, I'm asking you to make my joy complete. In other words, I'm perfectly at peace that God has me in a prison cell 
And I'm content in the fact that his kingdom is still on the move. It's still going to be accomplished. And I'm going to preach the gospel to myself and everybody around me. In fact, he did that and the jailer there got saved. Isn't that amazing? The jailer believed in Jesus while Paul was there. But he says this, make my joy complete by this, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one mind, one accord, and do nothing from selfish ambition. There's that ambition again. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. If there's any message, we should just, just engrave into Facebook, right? <laughs> Is that last phrase. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I wonder how that would affect all the posts that are written, right? Maybe your post and maybe my post. Point is, he says, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also the interests of others and have this mind, which is also in Jesus. Who being fully God and fully man, he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he set, him, he set aside all of his divine, divine privileges and took upon the form of a servant and became obedient to even death on the cross. Why? Because our good was a greater need that he wanted to offer out of his glory. He set aside his divine privilege so that he could take on something that he did not owe because we had a debt that we could not pay. That's the amazing grace of the gospel. And that only comes through interdependency. It only comes in a way by which we live in that humility, looking at others better than ourselves, being of the same mind, same love. It requires that one reality that's needed, and it's a gospel reality. And that is how to empty yourself. How do you empty yourself? How do you empty yourself of what you think is right? You might even say, these are my rights. But a greater principle is higher than that, than your rights and getting what you deserve. And the gospel says it's love. And that is the love that God showed us is that he showed love. He demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He emptied himself. One thing that I find that's true in anything we do as believers, as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God, is that we got to get to the place that it's just not about us. It's just not about us. But the other side of it is true as well. It includes us. God, it, God intentionally included us into this redemptive big story, this redemptive movement that he's doing on the earth. You and I have an opportunity to be part of that. As Pastor Rob and I talk often and things going on in the city, he, he talks to me about the things that, that are going on that many people don't know, and we talk and share those stories, and I wish we both had a megaphone, a platform, a billboard that we can just kind of keep telling these amazing stories that God's doing all around the region. Many times when that happens, there's a tendency in our own hearts um, to be tempted to somehow say, here's what I did in that story. And um, I'm learning in my life and in my leadership and in the circles that I'm, I'm a part of, is how, how can you do something in an invisible way? In other words, if it's not about you, it's about God's glory, then how can you have invisible leadership? Uh, what if someone else got the credit for something else and you didn't. I think when Paul was writing this, this would be a great translation in today's culture. What if someone else actually got something that you didn't get and they gained at your loss? Now here's the principle about losing though in the kingdom, is that if you empty yourself, 
if you deny yourself, what the gospel says that, that the grace of God is so amazing that if you humble yourself in the mighty hand of God, it says in first Peter, that in due time, God will lift you up. What happens is that we want to dictate the lifting up part, don't we? Many times we have that temptation to want to say, but I want people to know that, that I was there and that, that I was a part of that. And you know what? There's a part of that that's good, but the ultimate thing we want is God's glory to be greater than our story. And the way that we do that is by emptying ourselves. And the way that we live it is through interdependency. In other words, a good filter for me not to begin to try to say, hey, I want my name to be mentioned, or hey, I want to be at that table, or hey, what if I'm never even present, but I was the one that contributed the most to something? I'm finding there's a greater joy in that. And I see Paul in the way that he was imprisoned in his cell, but yet had a greater joy and a greater glory that he was magnifying God for that gave him life. That's why in the last chapter of this letter, he says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance I'm in. The reason why when I have very little or I have a lot and all that I need, I've learned one thing, that I can rest on the strength of Christ. And when the strength of Christ rests on me, that's all I need because my needs are met. And more importantly, his glory is magnified. But God doesn't stop there. What does he do? He takes us and begins to leverage our good out of his glory. I want to encourage you, as you consider this message today, um, the gospel is on the move. The kingdom of God is on the move. It requires us to live a life of dependency on him. It requires us to live a life of fluency. So wherever you're not fluent in the gospel, I encourage you not just to learn the gospel, but begin to see how does it apply in every stage of your life. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. What is your story? How does the gospel speak in and through that? And then interdependency. Let's learn to be okay with us just being apart. Let's learn to be okay where they don't have to hear my voice or my opinion or what I need to say. Let's be okay with the fact that the gospel is the message we want to be made known. It comes the best through humility and through emptying yourself. Because when you do that, you're going you're gonna to reveal who's really inside of you. And if you have Jesus in the Spirit of God who is guiding your life and speaking in and through you, that's what you want people to see. We have a great opportunity together to see God at work. And I'm so grateful to be part of it with Hope Church in this city, that his kingdom come and it will be done uh, in greater Charleston as it is in heaven. God bless you.